Welcome back to the final installment of Ball Watching World Cup Edition. Uh, I am Jake Koenig, joined by Justin Graham on what is a little bit of a sad day for us both after quite a month of some some enjoyment watching this World Cup. It's been a lovely, lovely thing to be happening and taking place during the holiday season. Not sure if we'll see that again, but I'm pumped that it happened. It was a great, great time, obviously, encapsulated by an incredible World Cup final. Justin, how are you? I'm doing well. I am a little sad as well. I was talking to my roommate yesterday, and there's nothing to watch during the day anymore. It's like daytime television. We're starting to get some college football coming up, but it's just not right. the same. It was nice to have these 9 a.m., 1 p.m. games all the time. I don't know what I'm going to do at work anymore. Right. I mean, for the agenda for today for us, we've got a little recap of the, the final itself. We've got uh, a look at just the tournament in general and some of the cool storylines, facts, uh, things to, to know about those games. And then a look ahead to 2026, uh, the World Cup being hosted here in Canada and in Mexico. And then finally, what's next for us as we get to the end of this year and look ahead to 2023? But Justin, I think you might have had something to start with before we get to that. I did, and I didn't okay. give you this question because it's a softball, Jake. Mm. Who's about, the goat? There's only one answer. Who's the goat of soccer? Is this a trick? No, it's not a trick. It's messy. It's, it's messy. locked in. It's Absolutely. messy now. He was yeah. beforehand, and he still is now, and he just solidified that. Mm-hmm. There, there's yeah, your I mean, question we've had. And rubber stamped that thing on, yeah. on Sunday. Like, no doubt about it. So let's I get into say, it. I will say Mbappe showed some flashes of what he can be. Yeah. That's what we'll get into. But as of right now, it's not even close. No. I, I agree. I agree. Quick, that quick game. recap. Mm. Yeah. Quick recap. Incredible game. Uh, Argentina took down um, France in penalties 4-2. to two. It ended up being a 3-3 game before that. We had a Messi started off with a PK in the 23rd. Di Maria goal in 36. France showed absolutely nothing in the first half. They had uh, zero expected goals, and Giroud and Dembele both came off in the 30, 45th or 41st minute. But then they actually turned it on late in the second half. But I don't even know if they did that as a team. That was pretty much all Mbappe just taking over, which was yeah. insane. Took over, scored two goals in two minutes in the 80th and 81st. Then it goes the extra time. Messi tallies his second one in the 108th minute, which is the second to, uh, of the 15 minutes. And then also Mbappe, again, gets a hat trick with, uh, and a, with a penalty in the 118th, which I think a hat trick in the World Cup final was 10,000 to one, which is just absurd. I don't even yeah. know why that was a prop, but take it. <laughs> and then I think the best and most important part of the game was um, Martinez's kick save against France in the 123rd minute of 123 minutes. The last, pretty much what would have been the last kick of the game, one-on-one -on -one kick save. I would say the best play of the tournament and probably the biggest and most important save in soccer history. Yeah. That, means, the World yeah. Cup that goes in. It's hard to argue with. It's hard to argue with Justin and I watched this game together, actually, uh, after a friend's wedding, shout out to Luke and Chloe Barkley. Uh, we were on the lower end uh, for most of that first half because we had a, a little bit of money going on France and then we told you all to do the same. So apologies right now, but that was a disgusting display from them for that first half. It was incredible how they just, they didn't know their left foot from their right. Like it was almost unwatchable. I could not believe how bad they were. I just, who could have predicted that uh, given that team and then the first half subs. And the, I mean, they're taking off their all time leading goal scorer, their second leading goal scorer of this world cup in Olivier Giroud. Uh, Dembele had to come off. That guy got absolutely toasted on, on the first goal uh, for the PK with Messi, but Oh, man, that first half was tough. I'm just glad it became a game. And then eventually it became one of the best games to watch. 
and it still wasn't even a game until like the 72nd. Like you, right. were, you were sitting next to me. I was cashing out bets, rebetting other bets. I lost all of those. I was freaking out. And then I finally <laughs> turned around, tried to double down on France. That didn't work. So mm. rough Sunday. Yeah. I'm just glad they saved it because to me at the very end of it, it was an emotional roller coaster and it kind of almost felt like a finale of sorts. And it was definitely the finale that I at least envisioned for Messi's international career. It sounded like he was not committal to that being his last game. Maybe he will continue to play. Um, I'd be shocked if it's in 26, but that'd be kind of cool too. Uh, yeah. It just felt like a finale at the end. It just felt like everything kind of came together. We got so much drama. There was a real game at the end and we were going crazy watching this thing. It had all the necessary drama that it needs to have a World Cup final. And I couldn't think of a better way to end that World Cup because there was so much drama throughout, so many upsets and shocker teams and Cinderella stories. Like, it was amazing. And I, and I think that was a good way to end it, even though I was on the losing side uh, for the betting. But it, it, was, it, was a good, it was a great World Cup. Yeah, I think overall, we'll, we'll kind of touch on some of the facts and storylines and some of our favorite parts. But yeah, I, you mentioned it earlier before we got on here. The gap is closing within the competition it's it's becoming i mean one of the ones that we'll touch on later too japan took down germany morocco making it to the quarterfinals things that some of those storylines are just absolutely insane but just to recap you guys on a couple of facts on how everything wrapped up the world cup golden ball for the best player Lionel messi far and above obvious one there golden boot came down to the last game with messi and mbappe mbappe took it home with eight goals with a hat trick when Messi had two goals. I don't know how you would have thought if Messi scored two goals in the final, how he doesn't win the golden boot. But, and then golden glove is Martinez for Argentina with is probably one of my favorite pictures of the whole world cup is when he got that award um, and was a little bit childish when he was walking on the stage with it. But um, (laughs) another picture that I wanted to mention as well is that Messi's Instagram with the world cup is now the most liked picture on Instagram of all time, not just with sports. It beat out the picture of the egg which I didn't know that was it before. It was just a picture, a perfect picture of an egg. Uh, But that's it. What was the other award, Jake? The Young Player Award winner uh, went to Enzo Fernandez. Um, I believe he's number 24 for Argentina. He's 22 years old. Or no, he turns 22, sorry, coming up in January. Guy was a stud. I mean, that midfield for Argentina just absolutely shut down the entirety of France's midfield. And there are no B-list guys in France's midfield. So an impressive feat. And he was not expected to be a huge factor coming into the World Cup. Um, He was in the bench of the first two games even before becoming a a starter uh, after his performance in the Mexico game. So uh, congrats to him. And he didn't make his debut for Argentina until September. So he was he was just far and above. He also, I mean, Messi is obviously deserving of yeah. that. Di Maria is another big star name, and you saw Aguero on the bench, but he's going to be up and coming for them for sure. Right. And in terms of like my my favorite games, obviously, like I said, the final uh, was one of my favorite games, and I think probably from a bias perspective, the U.S. England game was one of my favorite games. But I also think for for many other fans, it kind of signaled to the world that the U.S. isn't just like this ragtag group of young guys that have potential, like they can actually play with some of the best teams in the world and they can actually do and get results. Um, my other favorite game was, I, I'll, I still watching that Morocco beat Spain was incredible. Like just, I, I had Spain winning it. I didn't have any emotion though in, in Spain winning it. So Morocco doing that and seeing what it meant to those guys and then doing it again 
against Portugal. I definitely like the Portugal one more because I, I love to see the Ronaldo antics and see him get all whiny. Um, it was incredible to watch them do that in both in PKs, like the most dramatic fashion possible, zero goals. It was amazing. Not the best games and easy on the eye, but for someone that loves soccer, you just got to love to see that. I, I loved those two games. Agreed. And I, I would say for even for people that don't love soccer, one of the ones that I loved was Netherlands, Argentina tied two to two. Argentina went through yeah. four to three on penalties, 17 yellow cards, including a red card Ooh. at the final whistle, four goals, three missed PKs all within that. That was one of my favorite games. And then I know we touched on it earlier. Some other notable ones, Japan taking out Germany two to one. Saudi Arabia shocking Argentina in their first game. And then once you lose that first game, we talked about it way back when you have a 20% chance to get out of your group for Argentina. They go all the way and win it. And then another one that funny to me was uh, watching Suarez cry when Uruguay was up 2-0 on Ghana, which seemed to be a lock. But then South Korea went up and beat Portugal. And then um, Suarez was on the bench and he couldn't do anything about it. And, and Uruguay needed another goal for the tiebreaker. Couldn't get it. So just some crazy things on kind of how all of that played out. But I agree. I think as far as a personal favorite games, we're obviously the U.S. versus England and Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's funny because we both mentioned games from different parts of the tournament. Like, obviously, the knockouts are riddled with drama, and there's a ton going into those games. We also mentioned a bunch of group games uh, that are ju just equally as meaningful because there are so many different results and alternatives and scenarios that could churn out who goes to where and who goes home. And that's what I love about the World Cup is it's almost two tournaments. It's the group stage which is filled with its own level of drama, getting as many points as you can and, and try to take points where you should and then maybe grab a draw where you can if you're not expected to win there. But the knockouts are easy to think about the drama, but the group games have just as much to me. Like there was some incredible group games. I, I think you didn't mention this, but Cameron, Cameroon and Serbia, that 3-3 game, unbelievable. The, the, the storylines going into that, Cameroon coming back. Uh, I mean, unreal games and... I we're this isn't the end and we're going to get to 2026, but actually this is probably just the beginning of seeing this type of drama unfold. Uh, and not that this is the first time, but yeah. And then we have a couple other storylines we wanted to mention as well, a little bit still soccer related, but not specifically on the field. One that has been very recent and still going through everybody's Twitter and Instagram is salt Bay. The dude uh, that sprinkles salt on steaks. Yeah. Like I, he was big and like, was it maybe COVID, like pre-COVID? Yeah, he went viral. On the field. He's not even Argentinian. He's Turkish. And he was like holding – he was holding the cup, which you're not supposed to do. He pulled on Messi three times to get him finally to take a picture with him. And all these guys are looking at, like, who is this guy? I just don't understand how he was even allowed on the field. Yeah. That, yeah, that was interesting, too. I There was – yeah, you wonder what the credentials are to get down to get access to those players after the biggest game of their lives and the biggest moment of their lives. And you've got this – salt bay guy that's just really known for being like a viral he just owns these restaurants and does this thing with his wrist and salt and he's grabbing on messi's jersey to get a picture like dude get out of here this is not your moment like go go do go put some salt on something and then you see like france's president going in and, and like a little bit more of a case for him i know like france isn't like us where we have all these different sports but this is the equivalent of like joe biden going to like hug and console christian pulisic after the game, which you could never see. You could barely even see him doing that for like a big sport, like LeBron or like Tom Brady. Like that just doesn't make sense. But it's funny to see the access levels people get. I know that he gave a speech afterwards to the French national team too, but that, that was, that was a shame to kind of see like that kind of treatment of those players. 
I agree. And that kind of going off of France, another storyline is pretty insane to me that they made it to the final and should have probably won the final with that last kick without Benzema, without Conte, without Popa, who I would say two of them, if not all three of them, typically start for France. So mm-hmm. they will definitely be a force. I know Benzema just came out and said that he's not coming back. Um, he's done internationally, but I mean, France is still young and going to be incredible next year's or sorry, in the next World Cup as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And these are some of the most these were the most watched games from a U.S. perspective, also in our history for some of the Fox numbers we saw in Telemundo. We know that U.S. and England had a total of 20 mil. U.S. versus Netherlands had uh, 16.5. I think that is that just Fox, Um, just Fox, which is insane. I think it was their record. And guess who was number two in terms of markets? The STL baby. We show out for the national team. We show out for soccer. That's not surprising at all. I will also give kudos to KC because they also do the, do the same. It's just great to see the Missouri just as a as a state just reps it on the, on the big stage, turn on the, the soccer. Yeah, could not could not agree more. And the last thing I'll, I'll mention on storyline, still uh, extremely saddened um, by the passing of Grant Wall while he was over there. Um, a great journalist and just something that is you, the last thing you want to see come out of uh, such a special event like this. But um, absolutely, those are those were some of the big storylines. Let's. Uh, Let's look ahead into 2026. What do you got, yeah, Jake? You have to look ahead because it, it is still really sad to to know that this is now. It's less than four years away, right? Because we have it in the summer uh, this time. So it's like three and a half years away. Uh, but this 2026 World Cup is going to be hosted by us, Canada, and Mexico. Mexico actually making history. This is their third official World Cup they're a part of hosting. Uh, I know that they're not technically hosting this whole thing on their own. Uh, they're actually only hosting a very small fraction of it. We're the big brother in that case, but that's a thing for them. Uh, for, in terms of what it means for us as the U.S., uh, we are likely going to automatically qualify for this. I'd be shocked if it didn't end up, but that's all but confirmed. Uh, actually, all of us, all three of us should likely go through as automatic qualifying. So there will be no World Cup qualifying for our three teams. It will still happen for the other, you know, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Jamaica. Those teams will still have to go through qualifying. But it's a bigger tournament that we're getting into this year. We're adding 16 teams uh, going from 32 from this year to 48 in 2026. And so the allocation of those spots to the different confederations and confederations synonymous with continents, basically, your Africa, your Asia, your Europe, your North America, your South America, uh, all those teams will get more spots allocated to them. So we're increasing the pool and hopefully balancing out some of the competitive play. Because we saw some of these African teams lighting it up this year. And you have to think to yourself, do more you know, warrant attention in getting into the World Cup in the first place. And as they add this, as they add more teams, it's just going to make the World Cup that much bigger. I know you have some stats in here that yeah. they're, FIFA is expecting at least 5 million fans from other countries outside of the U.S., Canada, Mexico, to be taking part in these games. The 1994 tournament, the last one that we held, it was with 24 teams, and we still hold the overall record for attendance then. And FIFA World Cup uh, chief Colin Smith said that 2026 is going to blow that out of the water and possibly even double it, which is absolutely absurd to me. And it kind of makes sense as well when you look at it from a revenue standpoint. FIFA has budgeted $11 billion in revenue they expect to make from now until that World Cup, which is a sizable jump from the 7.5, I believe, that they had um, right. in the previous four years. So we have the infrastructure. It's not like we need to put any more money into actually building these stadiums. They're going to be at these NFL stadiums already. So it's right. just going to be a massive event. Right. And to really just, I've been asked a couple of times about what the format's going to be. The short answer is it's TBD. 
Uh, they initially came out and said that for the 48 teams, they were going to do uh, 12, uh, 16 groups of three, sorry. And every since you're having three teams in a group, you only really get guaranteed two group matches. And they probably wouldn't do draws. They would do straight to PKs after regular time. And then, you know, obviously the top two teams in each group go through. And then basically, though, that leaves one team in each of those groups that's going home after playing two games. I'm sorry, but if that's Argentina, see ya. They would have they would have gone so or they really could have been close to going which was very interesting so i think what they realize is that that kind of takes away from some of the antics of the group play and some of the drama that we just talked about a couple minutes ago here so they're starting to revisit it and i think they're going to probably go end up going with 12 groups of four and in terms of how you get that 48 down to 32 they'll have two knockout rounds essentially before you get into the quarterfinals and the finals finals they'll be around 32 and a round of 16. so if you do the math you take the top two teams uh, from 12 groups of four, you'll end up with your 24. And then what they're what they're trying to determine is how to get the other eight into the round of 32. So that could either be through taking the the, the top eight seeds uh, that have, have the most points that are in third place in their group and bringing them into the round of 32. It could be giving eight of the best qualifying teams, like eight of the best group winners, and just giving them a bye to the round of 16. So all of that's kind of still TBD, but I do think it's going to be 12 groups of four. So we'll maintain a lot of the same group play antics that we saw in this World Cup. Pretty insane to me that now, just comparing it to another sport, that is very similar then to the March Madness tournament. Yes. If yes, we go to 32, well, also it's even more games because we're going to yep. be playing three games within a group play before you even get to the round of 32. Right. There's only right. 64 in, I mean, there's 68 technically, but... Without yeah. the playing games in the college basketball, there's one game and then you're in the round of 32. Right. Now the U.S. will be playing three games before they get into the round of 32, yeah. which is just – it's going to make this so much more fun. I mean, we've been absolutely lucky with the amount of games that we've had in the past month. It's going to be an additional two weeks or so, I'd say. And no, they're actually going to keep the same time frame from what I'm seeing and just condense it even more, uh, which good luck for the players. We need, our, um, we need our midfielders to get a little bit more fit. Yeah, we do. We do. And here's here's the here's the great thing is that this expansion happens basically once every two decades right now. Like we are on a pace. We like you said, we played with 24 teams in the 1994 World Cup that was last held here. Remember, now we're at 32. That wasn't that long ago. So they expect eventually, uh, from what I'm picking up on, to get to 64, which brings you right to March Madness levels of fun. And that probably won't be soon, but if I had to bet, I could see us, you know, by 2050 in our lifetimes, seeing a 64 team world cup where, like we said, competition's close and there are no more just super giants that have no match for them. Uh, I think it's going to be fun to see how this develops over our lifetimes, but at least we're seeing the beginning of it next, next installment. Dude, they got to not do 64. I just looked it up. There's 195 countries in the world. We're having a third of the world play in the World Cup, that that just seems too much. And um, who knows? Who knows? What'll let's get there. let's get in some more facts about it though. Host cities. So we are splitting this with Canada, Mexico. Canada, Mexico will get ten games, and then those are only a part of the group stage games. Once it gets to the quarterfinals and on, or the that's all us in the U.S. Yeah. So looking forward to those games. The final will most likely be at AT and T Stadium in Texas or MetLife in New Jersey, New York. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about populations, and then the cities specifically for the U.S. Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, L.A., Miami, New York, New Jersey, Philly, San Fran, and Seattle. Yep. It's something that we've kind of talked about already and kind of joked about, especially when England got over to Qatar. Imagine some of these teams 
playing in Atlanta, Houston, uh, Dallas, L.A., Miami in June and July. It's going to be hilarious with some of these guys. Have to face. It will. It's, it could be some home field advantage, you know, definitely. And there are some legitimate concerns over well, you know what we're heading into here because you know everyone was really freaking out about Qatar because it's going to be super hot so we played in the winter and it was still I, I didn't hear anyone complaining about how bad it was it, it sounded like it was pretty moderate there and they did a good job with the air conditioning but heat is going to be a big factor in this next world cup eight of the 16 north american cities which are the bulk of the host cities regularly experience june temperatures in the 90s you know how humidity is in the United States, a lot of these teams, maybe South America's best prep for this or, or, or Africa, because I think the European teams could struggle uh, in this climate. And otherwise, like you just mentioned, travel, another huge thing to be aware of, because Qatar was like every stadium was a stone's throw from the next. So you look at this one and you're like, OK, well, we got we got a game in New York at MetLife and then we head over to San Fran. And I don't think they'll schedule like that. I think they'll be very intentional about how they limit the travel footprint, because it is a lot of travel for these for these guys but it's still ultimately like there will be big games that you do have to fly a couple hours for so another big difference to keep an eye on in this one but i still think you end up with some teams having advantage here because of the heat and because the travel word is used to it and um you, so you mentioned the schedule i think as far as dates and locations that'll be released late 2023 early 2024 yep. and then obviously yep. that will have not have teams attached to it because we want to have qualifying by then but so probably early June of 2026, you'll get the actual scheduling, the groups and drawings and all of that. But, yep. and then you mentioned it, Jake, thinking about those games, there's already lines out for who's going to win it right now. France at plus 500, Brazil plus 550, England plus 750. If it's anything like the heat that they were facing over there, that's not going to be good for them. Spain and Germany at 900, Argentina plus a thousand. That's probably, even though they just won it, it's probably more just because you don't think Messi's going to be playing out in that one. And then the U.S., 25 to 1. Think about it's crazy. it. It's crazy. It's crazy that those odds already exist. And it, it's keeping me alive right now because I'm bummed about this being over. But for people that just like soccer and want to grow their interest in it, there is a Women's World Cup as well. And we tend to be pretty decent at that one. So there is a World Cup next summer happening in July. And it's being co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand. Um, expect us to send a strong group over there and look to – probably win it is the goal I would imagine for the, this group. We talked to Ernie Stewart about that. I know they expect uh, success in that side of thing and adding another star to our crest. Our women's team has been historically phenomenal and a little bit of a transitional period right now, but look for that uh, as well. So that'll be on in, in just six or seven months. Who you know, I mean, I'll definitely tune into some of those games. I mean, it's definitely a fun sport to watch there and we, we're very good at it, which is easy. And we're also going to have probably some news come out in the next couple of years or so about the host of the 2027 Women's World Cup and the 2030 Men's World Cup. Uh, those will probably come as announcements in 2024 sometime. Um, U.S. soccer, uh, expect them to bid for the, the Women's World Cup either in 2027 or 2031. Uh, how cool would that be, Justin, to have the 2026 men's here and then 2027 just a year after? I, I mean... I've already told you I need to start saving money for just the men's, but if the women's comes to, I'm going to need to double down. Yeah, I mean, flights, getting tickets, all of that stuff is going to be extremely expensive. But start thinking about it. That I mean, just plan. I would assume that we will do it. It's if they're thinking we're already going to be set up and ready for it. Let's just roll it right into the next year. And talk about I just want to say this, too, on that note is that would be incredible, not only just for us soccer loving fans, but for those that are just more prospective. You saw 
people this year, and you always see it in every World Cup cycle, pick up interest and say, hey, when does America play? And who's in the final? Or I have money on this team. And it was so amazing to have that visibility for for once, uh, for once every four years at least, and to see those fans grow into the sport of soccer. I know we'll have more permanent fans now because that, even if it's just a fraction more, that helps our cause. And then to have this be put in their face in 2026, like it's everywhere you look. Soccer will be at the forefront for an entire summer. Uh, it's going to be incredible. And if you see the 2027 Women's World Cup land there, what it'll do to the United States, I think will be drastic. It'll be massive for the country. Soccer will be maybe shifting up in terms of the the, the depth chart, in terms of the sports that we respect here in the U.S. So I am super stoked for what's to come in the next couple of years there. And before we get into all that, Jake, I think this is unfortunately, like we said, our last World Cup episode, but we're going to be shifting back to uh, to City. So what's next for ball watching? I think there's a lot going on right now for City. Um, and then we're going to hit a little bit of a lull before we hit the season. Um, but we will be hitting you guys with an episode later this weekend as well with MLS Draft, City's inaugural, inaugural schedule that has just been released. And then also some more free agent signings that have happened during the World Cup while we've been a little bit of a way and focusing more on uh, World Cup and the U.S. men's national team. But I'm excited to get back into it. And then it's going to – I mean, I can't believe we're what? 12 days, 10 days before we hit 2023 yeah. and the season's here. So, right. We're yeah. We, we're, we're fully aware the schedule is out. We have not talked too much about city recently. There's a ton to catch up on. So we're going to cram that all into a concise and clear episode for you all, hopefully by the weekend. So you can take a listen in, but that'll probably be our last, like Justin said, for a couple of weeks as we just take a break after doing all this coverage for the last couple of weeks. And then we've doubled our episodes in just a month. Um, but really quick, wanted to give a shout out to your cousin, Justin, who happened to win the the bracket challenge, which, by the way, thank you all for your submissions. We actually had a pretty good size. Uh, I took third. My wife was second. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm i not mad about it. I'm happy for. But but Tate is our, is our winner for the bracket challenge. Yeah, he'll be in this weekend for the holidays. I'm going to bring him to the actual store for Series 6 to let him look around and I'll buy him something and uh, on the podcast and then I'll let... I'll let him buy some other stuff as well. He loves St. Louis, so I'm excited to bring him there. Ready to go, Tate. And you all should do the same. Definitely head over to Series 6 for some last-minute shopping storefront. I'm not sure if they could ship to you uh, in time for Christmas at this point, but definitely hit up the storefront uh, and get some last-minute Christmas shopping in using code BALLWATCHING, all one word, for 15% off at checkout store-wide. Uh, so that is your go-to for any last-minute deals. Uh, and finally, Follow us, guys. We, we've got, like we said, another couple more days until the end of the year, but we're going to hit it hard uh, in 2023 with this inaugural season coming in and uh, covering a lot of that probably in our next episode here. But shoot us a follow on Twitter or Instagram. Go to our YouTube channel. Check out some of our video content. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff out there at this point, especially from this last month. But catch up with us. DM us. Reply to our stuff. Uh, we love interacting with you all, and we'll be doing a hell of a lot more of that coming up in January. Here. Yeah, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Awesome. We'll see y'all later in the week. Take care.